Okay, so after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Thanks, uh, thanks, Courtney. Uh, it's less than two weeks till Christmas, and this is, I think, other than Easter, one of the greatest opportunities that we have as a community to get people thinking about who Jesus really is. But the question is, if you and I are going to invite people to experience life in Jesus, what does that look like? And I think what we get here in this setting is a great example of what people ought to engage in. I want to suggest to you uh, this morning that following Jesus is more than believing a set of truths. It's more than just saying, okay, these facts about this man are right, therefore I am one of his followers. We see something deeper, something richer. Following Jesus is about more than facts. Now, I don't want to minimize it. Uh, those of us who love Jesus, there are things we believe about God. 
There are things that we believe about ourselves. There are things that we believe about the man called Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he did live, live a perfect life, that he did die on a cross in a real place outside of Jerusalem. And you can go to the spot where God paid for our sins by the sending of his son. We believe that he rose again from the dead. We believe that he ascended into heaven. We believe that he promised to return and he keeps his promise. And that those of us who follow him will live with him forever. Yes, those facts are true. But what you see in this encounter in Ephesus is something richer, is something more profound, something deeper. And so what we want to do is, as we get ready to invite people to really experience Christmas, we want to first, as a community, think about what the gospel does. Three things I want us to see from Acts 18 and 19. It's right here in the text. Three things about the gospel and what it does when we embrace it. The first thing, write this down, is the gospel transforms the way we think. It changes the way that we think. You, you see it happen. What, what is happening in the story? Acts 18, Paul is traveling. We saw early on when Courtney was reading that he had, he had gone from place to place. This is the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey. He stayed in Antioch, his home base, for a long time. But then he goes out, as it says, to strengthen the churches, to, to help those communities. In other words, they started following Jesus, but there needed to be a continual transformation. So Paul goes from place to place to strengthen the brothers and the sisters. And then when he goes out, we get this little clip about a guy named Apollos. Luke is a genius writer. What he does is all throughout Acts is he gives us contrasts. He pits one person versus someone else. And it's really subtle. But because we read all of it, you see it back to back. You, before you get Paul in Ephesus dealing with their lack of understanding, you get the opposite. Who is Apollos. Well, we see that Apollos is a man who is acquainted with the way of Jesus. Look at verse uh, 23 and 24. Meanwhile, uh, verse 24, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. That's the key word. Alexandria was the center of the Roman Empire in North Africa, in Egypt. And Alexandria had the reputation of a Harvard or a Yale kind of city. So to say that Apollos is from Alexandria, he's from a place where people are highly educated. And that's what we get about him. He's acquainted with philosophy and religion. He's a follower of the way. And he's teaching. But it's interesting um, that even as he's teaching, he doesn't get it all. Look at verse 25. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. And he spoke with great fervor, or, or with the Spirit's fervor, if you were reading it in Greek. He is, uh, he's thrilled about Jesus, and he's passionate about God, but, and he talked about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. So he teaches about Jesus with precision, but he actually doesn't know it all. Uh, verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him uh, the way of God more accurately. Something is missing in Apollos. Now, we're going to see the contrast that Luke gives in a minute. But before we do that, I think it's just helpful to see what happens here. God gifts people in your life, in my life, to build us up. 
He's already a preacher. Apollos is educated. Apollos knows the way of Jesus, but he's missing something. And God brings Priscilla and Aquila. They don't rebuke him in the synagogue. They don't rebuke him in the marketplace. They bring him to the house and they give him a cup of coffee and they give him a cookie and say, Apollos, we love you, but we kind of heard last week's message and we think there's some things about Jesus that may not be clear. And lovingly, they teach him the way more accurately. The rest of 18 says, Apollos is sent out and he's refuting in the synagogues. You see, God brings people to build us up. Now, what does that say for you and me? As we get closer to Christmas and we celebrate Jesus, let's remember there's always room for growth. There's always room for you and I to know more. I started speaking when I was 16. I love God and I I love the gospel. And my youth pastors were kind enough to let me speak in our youth group and speak at smaller meetings because I have this passion for people to know who Jesus is. But I thank God none of it's recorded. Um, Or if it was recorded, it's on a cassette tape, right? In the archives. It's like, you got to love the 80s. Anyway, just Google cassette tape. Some of you, it's amazing what, what, you, what we advance from. And, and, and fortunately, I don't think I preached heresy. I, I don't think, I think I loved Jesus and knew very little. But you know what? Every year, now every decade, I've, I find that I have so much more to learn. The more that I know, the more I realize how little I know. Show me a mature believer in Jesus and I will show you someone who's humble about what they know. There's always more to learn. So this Christmas, in the middle of the phonetic pace of shopping and giving and parties, I pray that the gift of Christmas for you and I is that we would want to know more about Jesus, that we'd love him more, that we want to understand his ways. That's what you see in Apollos. And out of that time with Priscilla and Aquila, he's a better person, a better leader, a better communicator, more effective. And that's our prayer for you in the coming year. So just to drop a seed We're already preparing some more sunset studies. So many of you went through one of the sunset studies that we did this year to wrestle with questions. We're already preparing more. In early January, I'll be throwing out an option for you to read the Bible in a year alongside free videos online on YouTube that together as a community, we can learn not just reading the Bible, but how the Bible works and how each book in the Bible, how to understand it, how to read it, how to interpret it. Many of us were just frustrated because we read it and it's like, crickets, like I I don't get it. It doesn't have to be that way. This can be a year of growth and maturity for you. So, so, but no matter all those just tools and trips, uh, at the heart of it, what does growth entail? It, It entails a change of the mind. If you want to grow, so I'm praying that the gospel will change the way we think, it's gonna affect the mind first. How you believe will show up in the way that you live. And so Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul, later writing to the church, after 11 chapters about the good news, Romans 12, 1 through 2, and we'll be studying Romans chapter by chapter next year. He, he, he pivots and says, okay, in light of the gospel, what do we need to do? I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, the gospel, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Because God has done this, you now are called to do that. Uh, a holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
the good news is good. Therefore, my life should be different. It should be full of worship. Now, worship is not just singing. Like the worship didn't end when the song ends. No, worship is living to please God. How do you do that? Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So songs impact the mind. Lyrics impact the way you think. Now, if you want to know God's will, his good and perfect and pleasing will, you must allow God to impact your mind. And so when your thinking changes, your behavior has to follow. So don't conform to the world's pattern. It's not like this, be perfect, good luck, Jesus is watching. That's not helpful. No, God's plan is to give us the good news. His mercy and grace has been given to us so it can impact not just Sunday, but everyday thinking. And when my thinking changes and my eyes are enlightened to what God has said and his will is, then I can resist the temptations to live outside of God's plan. Well, so we need the Holy Spirit to do that. And what is it that Apollos was missing? Most commentators that I read about this passage about Apollos is he was missing because uh, Luke tells us he knew the, the, the baptism of John is a reference to he didn't understand fully what the Spirit had done. Apollos knew Jesus. Apollos knew the teaching of repentance. Apollos knew about faith. But he didn't fully understand the implications of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he's already a Christian, but he needs to know how to apply daily living by the power of the Spirit. Can I just suggest that would be really helpful for us? To learn to walk in the day-by-day leading, not of rules and regulations, but of the Spirit applying the truth of God to everything that I do. Wouldn't it be great to walk day-by-day and say, Holy Spirit of God, you know what I'm going to face. You know the truth of God. I'm clueless. And I'm tired and I'm frustrated and I'm mad and I'm whatever. Guide me. That is God's goal for Apollos. That is God's goal for you. Second thing, though, that we see is not only does the gospel transform the mind, the gospel transforms the soul. It's almost the same thing. I'll make a distinction in a second. See, Apollos is a Christian, right? But look at the next group that we meet. It's a contrast. Chapter 19, verse 1. While Apollos is in Corinth, so Apollos goes out and he's an itinerant preacher. Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? That's a weird question. Paul sees some people who call themselves Christians, but then he asks a test question. Hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? And look at their response. So Paul's just probing. They've answered, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Now we know you can't receive the good news of Jesus apart from the work of the Spirit. We know that John the Baptist preached that Jesus would baptize his followers with the Holy Spirit. So it's pretty clear, Luke's giving a contrast. Apollos is a Christian who needs to grow. That's one group of people. That might be you. But there's another group of people in the city, in Ephesus, can I suggest, in this room, in the city, in America, that call themselves disciples, but actually have yet to begin following Jesus. So Paul, in asking questions to see where they're at, 
realizes they don't have the Holy Spirit. So Paul asked a follow-up. So he said, what baptism, verse 3, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism. So Paul knows where to start. He says, verse 4. Okay, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is Jesus. So Paul lays into the gospel. He starts with where they're at. They think they're Jesus' disciples, but Paul has to bring them to the truth. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on him, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues. They prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So what you see in Acts 18 and 19 is kind of a category of what happens to someone who's truly been, whether you want to say saved, converted, born again, become a follower of Jesus, entered the kingdom of God, all Bible phrases that speak to the same reality. There's a transformation of the mind for those who know Jesus. He changes the way we think, but there must be an inner change, what I call of the soul. Now don't Don't rip me apart. The soul and the mind are kind of the same immaterial thing. But here's a distinction I want to make. I think in the U.S., many people have taken Christianity to be a set of moral principles that make you good. They want to change the mind, but they're not looking for a total inner transformation. What I want to suggest is Apollos needs to grow in the truth, yes. But he also, these disciples also need an inner work of the soul. They need to be born from above. They need transformation. What do you see? What are the elements of transformation here in the text? Four things. You see transformation includes repentance. John's baptism. That we turn from selfish, from sin, from death to the living God. There must be repentance. There must be faith in Jesus. Paul reminds him. John preached a baptism of repentance and faith in the coming Messiah. There must be water baptism. They're water baptized. And there's the gift of the Holy Spirit. All four of those include that inner soulish transforming work. So I think, now we'll move away from the text for a second. I'll get myself in trouble and then we'll laugh and move on. But um, I just told you what's going to happen. I think in the U.S. particularly, This is an Ephesus kind of situation. I think there are lots of people who have gone to a church or been exposed to Christianity online or through written materials or websites, and they they think they're actually disciples to Jesus, but they've never really fully understood the implications of the gospel. They've never really understood repentance, and they've never understood faith in Jesus as their only way to be saved. They've never understood that baptism and the path of obedience is required. Hear me. If you choose to follow Jesus, grace comes to you, but you're no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Some people have never been taught that. They've been saying, like, hey, if I go to church, especially around Christmas, and say, God, I'm sorry, and I drink the hot cocoa, I'm saved. They don't understand that the seal, that the difference between the Old Testament Israelite and the New Testament believer is not more rules. It's actually the indwelling presence of the Spirit. They never realized God gives the gift of the Spirit to everyone who repents and believes and follows through with obedience and water baptism, the Spirit comes, and it's the Spirit that brings life. And I think there are many people who are unconverted in the church. It's like Ephesus. So what does Paul do? He lovingly brings them along, and he speaks the truth. 
Now you know that there's a change because what do they do? They'd already received John's baptism. Now in hearing the gospel, like, oh, we get the full story. They repent, they believe, they're baptized. And guess what? The spirit comes. Here we see the sign. They speak in tongues, they prophesy. It was visual. In this early community, how did you know if someone had the spirit? It was these outward signs that happened. And so the point is, Paul knew, they knew, everyone knew. They went from death to life. So they went from going to knowing about Jesus to actually following Jesus. And I would just, I would be giddy in the coming year if God used all of us, not me, all of us, to help people who are culturally exposed to the faith to actually start following Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if the people who think they are right with God actually find out what right with God really entails and that God uses you like he used Paul in conversation after conversation. Notice Paul's just talking to a dozen. This is him and a group of guys. And they get into a conversation about Jesus and the spirit comes. I think that that would be incredible if you've never experienced that yourself. Don't just rely on someone else. Don't just hope, I'll just bring him to church and Jose, you do the talking and I'll do the nodding, you know? But I would, I would be giddy if you saw the Spirit of God work through you this year to see people come alive to Jesus. That's what we're praying for. So the Holy Spirit gives a fresh approach to Paul in Ephesus. Now, what does Paul do? Some people respond immediately, right? Here in this story, 12 quickly come to faith but not everyone so quickly. Look at verse eight. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months. Some are a little more cold. They're a little less convinced, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them were obstinate and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So some people don't respond. So it's not all perfect. Paul didn't like bat 100%. Not everyone he talked to believed, and that's totally encouraging. You're going to get people to say, no, thank you. What does Paul do? Uh, Verse uh, 10, I'm sorry, middle of verse 9. So Paul left them, and he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So in every city, the Spirit gives Paul something to do. In Corinth, Paul goes house to house. Here in Ephesus, he's able to rent a hall. Now, he worked as a tent maker. So he works in the morning from probably sun up, six, seven in the morning till about 10. And then he dropped his tools, hopefully took a quick shower. And then he goes to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So what, we don't know much about him, but he's an educator and he has a class. Let's say he's got a PCC campus, right? And so in the middle of the day, it got so hot from 11 to four, everyone takes a siesta And then you go to work at night before the sun goes down. So what he does is the room is vacant and he pays him a little money and says, hey, can I have your hall? And most people are off of work. So day by day, he's got a new strategy. He he rents the hall and people come and sit and wrestle with questions. And he begins to teach them the word of God. For two years, he does this. I just want us to see that as we study Acts, God does not do the same thing in every, every, every city. The Spirit of God has creativity. So we, as a community, changed often. We changed our strategies. We changed our approaches. We, we changed. Why? Because the culture is changing. We don't change the truth, the core of what we believe. But we want to reach everyone in our city. In order to do that, we want to pray in the coming year, God, 
give us a fresh approach to reach more people. So that's what Paul does here. So the first thing is, again, I don't want to make a distinction between the, the mind and the soul too much. All I want to do is make the point is Christians need to grow and those who haven't experienced life in Jesus need to, need to be born anew. And that happens. Now, third thing, write this down. The gospel also transforms the way that we live. It's not just about a mental change and a, a different frame of reference. It's not just about this inner invisible work. What does it mean when the spirit of God comes to live in you? I cannot explain it. I could try, but it, it would fall short. There's an inner work that the spirit of God does in reshaping us. But it's not just an inner work. And we see it here, verse 11. It's also an outward work. It, it shows up in the real world. Verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that, and this is one of those weird ones, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. This is one of those that if you've been born and raised in the West, you just want to erase because it's just weird. So these aren't just like random. They didn't go like to Bed Bath and Beyond and, and get like stuff and rub it against Paul. It was Paul worked with his hands and he had handkerchiefs around his neck that he would wipe his brow with as he's working. Aprons for his tools and his equipment. And then he put those down Hopefully he took a quick shower. Bible doesn't say. And then he goes to the hall to lecture. And, and what people were doing was they were going to where he worked and getting these things that were on him and saying, man, God is working through this man. I'm going to take this to my buddy. Paul can't even make it, but I'm going to carry this. And guess what? God in his faithfulness was touching people. Evil powers were coming out of people by the very things that touched this man. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that we need God to transform our mind. Because right now, I could, I could see it. Some of you are like, yeah, whatever. Or that makes sense in Africa, in tribal places. Hear me. We don't need that here. We're smarter. We have health insurance. And what we need is to let the word of God transform the way I think, not take my thinking and then interpret what God has said. What we're praying for is that the, the gospel would transform people in, the, in a very real way. So what am I suggesting? I'm saying that wouldn't it be great as we pray about the coming year, as we celebrate Christmas, that as you encounter people who are not following Jesus or are suffering wouldn't it be great if you were the agent of the greatest Christmas gift possible, that the Spirit of God would touch people in the real world? So I'm like, but I'd rather give a gift card. I agree. That's easier. It's cleaner. But the gospel transforms the way we live. So very powers that are keeping people in bondage are, are let go. But I want us to remember what Luke is telling us. This isn't magic. This isn't like, Magic. Now, again, in my context, in my world, because I've been around American Christianity most of my life, now, I'm not saying that everyone 
who mails you something and says, I'm putting in a handkerchief in there and I'm praying a blessing on you. And if you open it up and put the, put, put the little handkerchief under your pillow, everything's going to go okay. That's magic. It's actually magic. That's not what's happening here. Here's why we know this. Verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits try to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. You see what happens here? Is Luke is a contrast. God is miraculously at work in Paul because this presence of God is working in Ephesus in a strong way. Just to remind you, Ephesus was a city with a huge spiritual reputation. It was a place of power. It had temples to the gods and priests and priestesses. So what God does is in a city that is full of evil, God comes with good. God comes with blessing. God is the antidote to the evil and the sham and the scam. God brings legitimate power. But these guys try to invoke, and so they, they, they try to cast out demons in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. I love that. Like, we don't know him, but like, it's working. In the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. So seven sons of this supposed Jewish chief priest, he's probably not a real chief priest. It's kind of a, a literary device saying someone who claims to be a chief priest. They were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, who are you? Magic will not work. So then it's like a a 15-round boxing match. Verse 16, the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. This is so incredible. Talk about a Sunday morning graphic. Magic will get you nowhere. The power of God changes anything. So we need to remember that the Holy Spirit wants to change the real world. And so can I just remind you, you have the Holy Spirit. You have been given the gift of God so you can, in the right scenario, with the right people at the right time, call on God, say, God, man, I don't even know what to do here, but I know this family needs your touch. Would you come and touch? Wouldn't it be great if we were the place, this is scary, I get it, wouldn't it be great if we were the place, like, I don't know, you're struggling, that's not working, I don't know, but there's a group of people at sunset, you should have them pray for you. Wouldn't it be great if that were our reputation? Not like, oh, let me tell you about this like, killer keyboard track and the songs and, and like the donuts and the muffins. But no, if, if, the, if the reputation was, I don't know how and I don't even know if it's legit, but you should go there because God's at work. We are praying that the gospel will transform the way we live. Now we could be normal because I think Paul was normal and full of the spirit and God's power. We don't have to be goofy, but we do have to believe. So some of us err on one side. We want to be so proper, we push the spirit out. Others of us, we want all of the spirit, but we have no restraint. So can we, can we pray that God would do both, right? Let's pray that God would do both. But the spirit's life transformation isn't just like healing and demon uh, casting out. Look at, this is an intriguing. I don't know why he does this, but Luke continues. Uh, he says, verse 17, um, 
when this became known, the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, duh. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. So, so God's name is being held high. Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed what they had done. I want us to see how the Spirit works. The Spirit works in power and healing, casting out of demons, real demonstrations of power. But there's another demonstration of power that's a little less sexy. It's, it gets a little less press, but it's actually impressive. Verse 19. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, it told 50,000 drachmas. Let me give perspective. A drachma is a day wage. This would be one person's daily wage if they worked for 137 years. Which, let me tell you, that's a long career, okay? Uh, it's impossible, right? But if you worked for 137 years, that's the value of what they burned collectively. It wasn't one person's, but everyone took... Because in Ephesus, there was all these mystical powers. If you went to the gods, you need to have the right incantations, the right formulas, the right prayers. And so people would sell these things and say, here, take this little figure, go to the mountain, recite these words, and the gods will hear you. What happened was the Christians realized when they were given the Holy Spirit, the spirit within them said, this other stuff is evil. So what did they do? They could have sold it. And given some money to the church and said, well, you use that stuff. I'm not going to use it, but it's high value material. No, what do they do? They don't want anyone to be hoodwinked. They don't want anyone to succumb to this. So they bring it and they, Paul does not tell them to burn it. They burn it of their own free will. It's a sign that the spirit is working. Now, it's not as exciting as healing, and it's not as exciting as demons being cast out. But can I just say, the Holy Spirit does the miraculous and provides wisdom. This is so good. So there are parts of your life, maybe it's not healing, maybe it's not, maybe it's not evil. Maybe it's just some stuff you've been hanging on to. When you started following Jesus, there was some stuff you were doing, engaged in, enjoying, and now the Spirit of God within you, no one's telling you, the Spirit of God within you is saying, that's not like healthy. That's not good. That's not right. You should give that up. And so I think some of us just need the gospel to transform the way that we live. So let's just recap. Uh, we could have done it in two minutes. Jesus changes everything. That's what Acts 18 and Acts 19 is all about. Jesus changes the mind. He teaches us and grows us. He changes the soul. He transforms us in an inner way. Now the Spirit of God is living within. Now I can know the thoughts of God. I can actually follow God. I have the power to do what's right. And I have the power to affect change in this world because God is with me. So where I go, the gospel goes. Where I go, Jesus goes. Where I go, the good news is we want to be the kind of people that let the gospel transform everything. And when I say the gospel, I actually mean Jesus. I'm not just saying like this formula, this belief system, this philosophy. Too many in America think they're following God because they have heard a few words and said, I, I nod to those words. Those words are better than Muslim words or Jewish words or Hindu words. I like those words. No, we're talking about a total transformation. And Jesus wants to bring that to you. So 
when, when I say Jesus changed everything, I, I mean that Jesus changes the way that we relate to God. In Ephesus, they were enemies of God. Every one of us starts out default mode. Just look at infants. Look at a two-year-old. You realize you don't need to go to school to learn how to do what's wrong. It happens like really young. Mine, mine, mine. And then no, no, no. Our default mode is rebellion. But when Jesus comes, the spirit does a reset on the inside. I can't tangibly, it's not in like the rib cage, but it's within and I get a reset. And now I can know and walk with the living God. We need to preach this gospel. We need to let people know that you can go from enemy to friend of God, child of God, loved by God. When I say Jesus changed everything, I mean that it's an inner work that like Romans 12, one and two says that, that, my worship is that I allow God to change the way I think and feel and I begin to go God's direction. Does it happen in a moment? No. But if there's no evidence that Jesus is changing the way you think, feel, live, and behave, this may sound callous, but I've got to be honest. I would begin to doubt whether you've actually been converted. If 10 years after claiming to follow Jesus, your behavior is identical, your attitude is identical, your mindset is identical, because the fruit of having the Spirit is love. Default from an infant is mine. The fruit of the evidence of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control. These things we cannot produce. The Spirit produces them. So if I look at your life 10 years after you nod and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I can't see anything like that. I'm not saying fully. We're all in process. But if I don't see any, I would say, be born again. We need to, we need to proclaim that. Because we have many people in the U.S. who think they're right with God, and they are not. And that's not a shame, and that's not like a, that's not pointing the finger. This is love. Love says you're in the building, but you're not a child of God. That's a shame. I want you to be a part of the family of God. And then finally, when I say Jesus changed everything, I mean that there is a real outer change. That when, when we look at each other, we can say every year, wow, I see Jesus in you. Now, I still see that old guy. <laughs> I still see that old lady. I still see that, that old person creeps up, you know. But I see Jesus in you. That's the mark. Now, now I, why, do I, why, why say this now? Is because Christmas, I think for many, has just become an occasion to have a party and give a gift. But Christmas for us is this opportunity to tell people about real transformation that happens in the baby that was born. Now, two ways that we need to respond to this in light of what we've just seen. And I don't know where you're at, but I would say, please respond with one or the other. For those of us who this morning, like these disciples who met with Paul, if you think you knew what it meant to follow Jesus, but the internal light just went on, like, <gasps> wait a minute. That's the spirit of God letting you know you're invited. You're welcome. And so as we respond with worship, even now, give your life wholly over to Jesus. That is, repent, turn from sin, and put your trust in Jesus alone to save you. 
Follow through the first Sunday, January 3rd. We're going to be doing water baptism. Start the year by publicly going in the water. You say, well, Jose, I've been going to church for 15 years. I said, great. Well, kickstart the new year and be baptized. And then let the Spirit of God transform the way you think, feel, and live. Live like Jesus. So maybe you need to be born anew this morning. But for the rest of us, let's just hover on Apollos. Let's commit this morning to say to God what he already knows, that there are areas where we need to grow. There's areas where we need to mature. And let's submit ourselves now and say, Holy Spirit of God, bring people into my life that are going to shape me. Bring the Priscilla's, bring the Aquila's, bring the people that are going to expose the things I don't know so that I will know and I can live more like Jesus. This morning, there's room for every single one of us to respond. And so I'm going to invite you to do that now. Why don't you stand on your feet and we're going to worship God. We're going to sing. We're going to sing the song we ended with before we got into our teaching. We're going to sing it again. Not because we don't know what to do. <laughs> like We're running out of songs. Do a repeat. No. Because maybe we sang it with our lips, but it wasn't, it wasn't coming from the heart. And so I want this morning, you, as an act of worship, to use the song as a tool, a prayer, right? It's just a tool. Use it as a a tool to connect with the Spirit of God. And if you need to respond to faith in Jesus, even as we sing the song, just say, Jesus, I mean this with all of my heart. I I am sin-filled, but you're a Savior. And so I receive your gift of life. I'm your child, even now.